0: That's it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to another episode of Does It Hold Up? The show where we take a look at movies released prior to 2010 and see if they would still hold up in today's standards for a modern audience. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And today... Because of Thor Love and Thunder coming out, the newest Marvel movie, we're going to take a trip all the way back to 1986 with what might be one of the biggest flops in the history of movies. You know what I'm talking about. It's Howard the Duck.
0: Let's go for a ride. (laughs) Yeah. um,
1: Yeah. Howard the Duck is one of those movies that everybody's heard of, but not a lot of people have seen. Um... It's just, it was bad when it came out. Nobody really paid attention to it. Um, It's really about this duck named Howard who lives on a planet similar to Earth. Uh, Actually, it's exactly like Earth, except everybody's a humanoid duck. (laughs) And gets transported to Earth and doesn't understand why. Then meets a girl who he likes and she likes him, I don't know, we'll get into that. But then they have to figure out how to get him home, but when they find out how to get him home, it turns out that they're bringing a dark overlord, some kind of evil entity, to Earth, these scientists with this big ray machine, and now for some reason, Howard the Duck and the people he just met have to team up to fight the alien coming to destroy Earth? Sounds legit. I mean, that my (laughs) explanation made as much sense as the actual movie did. Seriously, it did. So, that
0: was 100% how the movie went.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, in 19, if, if you didn't understand what I said now, imagine what people thought in 1986 watching this movie.
0: I could not imagine that, honestly. It was such a trip just trying to keep track of it now when all this kind of multiverse type thing is
1: popular but this isn't even a multiverse this is literally just aliens it just doesn't it's a it doesn't make any sense um i know the comics don't make any sense (laughs) i've read a few of them i never understood them and i was like i don't understand the appeal of this duck
0: i would not understand the appeal of of this duck either
1: (laughs) what blows my mind too is the comics are very much like deadpool very meta breaking the fourth wall kind of stuff funny very very adult humor but then this movie is like we're gonna do that but we're also gonna make it family friendly
0: and it fails in both regards
1: yeah it doesn't go far enough into the adult humor but it goes too far for the kids
0: yeah it that was one of my biggest struggles with this movie was just the crazy tonal shift of like all this peppy music and this like, odd couple kind of thing that they're trying to do with the duck and the girl, Beverly, and, like, making it kind of, you know, family-oriented, you got that feel from it, and then randomly you just see duck boobs.
1: Yeah, but, you know, at least the duck boobs happen in the first, like, two minutes of the movie.
0: True, but then it's just... There was just some adult humor that was just, like... And, like,
1: it's okay if they have adult humor. They just... They, they needed to go all in on it.
0: Yeah, they needed to go all in. One or the other. You, Either this was an adult ha- movie. You weren't able to. Or do both. not. Yeah.
1: But like, there was no swearing, and I know Howard the Duck says bad words, and there was no nudity other than the weird duck boobs. There was implied nudity, a yes. whole bunch of it, but yes. no actual nudity, and like, it, just go for it, like making it for kids, but trying to appease adults at the same time was super weird. So you're, like, all in, and you're like, oh, this is raunchy, this is so good. Okay, now we're just having a dance break for the kids. it,
0: It just failed in both regards. You didn't make it, like, toned down enough for the kids, and you didn't make it adult enough for the adults. So it just,
1: it played to no one. And it was, like, every five minutes, too. It's not like, oh, the first 30 minutes started one way and the rest of the movie was another way. It just and flowed the entire movie, just adult, kid, adult, kid, adult, kid, adult, kid, uh, and it's just mind-boggling that they thought that would work.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's tons of kid movies that, you know, are family-friendly that have adult humor and they work so well because they... this one. No, because they kind of hide the adultness
1: in, like, innocence. I mean, look at SpongeBob SquarePants. I know it's not a movie, it's a TV show, but he's had movies as well. But, like... Watching it as an adult, and you hear those jokes, and you're like, ooh, why did I laugh at that as a kid? What was I... But then as a kid, you're still laughing because it works. Oh, yeah. There's ways to hide it
0: in, and they just did not do it in this film, so it...
1: You want to know who's to blame for this? Hmm. George Lucas. George Lucas. Yes, he executive produced this movie. And it's all his fault. He's the one that wanted to bring this to the big screen. He thought it would be this huge hit, and everyone would love it, and it'd be his follow-up to Star Wars, and it's like, oh, he's just so good. Look at everything he can do. And he made this movie. He went and he produced it. Bad plan. Bad plan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, super bad plan. I don't know what he was thinking. It was his idea to tone down all the raunchiness for the kids' rating, and it's just like, man, what are you doing? Makes no sense whatsoever. But he had to do something. You know, he. So, you know, as we do on this episode, on this show, we always have our fun facts throughout the show. And this is a fun fact for everybody listening. So, right after all three of the original Star Wars trilogies were done, George Lucas is rolling in those big bucks. And if you guys don't know, George Lucas lives on this huge, huge acres of land, huge house, all this stuff called Skywalker Ranch. Well, Skywalker Ranch cost him millions to make. And I'm not talking Seriously? about like it's a $2 million, it's a $3 million. I'm talking like it's 10s to 20s to 30s, to like up to like $50 million Oof. to build Skywalker Ranch because of all the stupid shit he had to have in it. Why? Because he's George Lucas and he thought he was untouchable. <laughs> we all know that's. I mean, he's he's untouchable now because he doesn't own anything. He sold it all to Disney. But back then he thought he was untouchable. He could get away with anything. So he builds this $50 million ranch... And then takes the rest of his money and pours it into Howard the Duck. I don't know why. I can't, I can't explain it. Yeah. But, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> and this was supposed to be, like, his big comeback. That's why he was trying to make it family-friendly. Because it was like, I got to make this movie that everybody's going to want to go see, like Star Wars. So it was adult, but kids loved it and blah, blah, blah. So he, he kind of plays with that tonal shit because he needed to make money. He was in the red after building Skywalker Ranch. Nope. This movie bombed miserably. Nobody saw it. Nobody liked it. Critics tore this movie apart, and George Lucas lost a ton on this movie. So much money. But here's your little interesting fun fact for you guys, is he got in such hard times, he started off, he started selling off some Star Wars memorabilia to pay bills, all that good stuff. And when that wasn't cutting it, he needed something bigger, and he had been working with some of his fellow filmmakers to create an animation studio he wanted to get in an animation business but he hadn't really gotten it going quite yet but his friend steve jobs ceo of apple products of course who else comes along and is like hey you're on hard times buddy your animation studio hasn't done anything yet but you know what i'm gonna pay you over market value because we're friends but i want that studio
0: how much did he pay
1: I, who knows? I mean, for all I know, he paid $10 for it. But it, it, it was enough to get Lucas back in the black
0: yeah, in, in his fair. personal
1: life. He gave him enough to get him back in the black. But what's fun is that studio, guess what studio that went on to be? What studio? Pixar. Seriously? Yeah. George Lucas originally owned the studio that would be known as Pixar. But because of this movie, he had to sell it to Steve Jobs, who went and used all of his computer technology with Apple... To create Toy Story for 1995, which we already did an episode on. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's pretty good.
0: George, what were you thinking? No, no, no.
1: Thank you, George. You gave us Pixar.
0: That's like, fair. I feel if, like he would have ruined it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, he definitely he, he would have re released everything with new things oh, and this and that. It would have been bad.
0: Every, like, two years.
1: So, as much as this movie's garbage, sorry, spoiler alert Howard the Duck's not a very good movie, even with its cult following. But because of this movie, we got Pixar. Sounds like a good trade. Now that is a fun fact. It's, there you go. Fun facts. Fun facts all around. Um, so back to back to Howard the Duck, though. So Howard's, in the beginning of the movie, Howard's at his house on Duck World, and all of a sudden his house starts shaking, and this beam just sucks him right out of his apartment. Doesn't affect anybody else. Just him. Sucks him out of the apartment, through walls, through space. A little time warp thing. And he crash lands on Earth. Super weird. Uh, 80s hair metal people, punk people, kind of pick on him in an alleyway as soon as he lands. And then he gets shoved into a bar for some reason because he's some nerdy guy's date, which is super weird. Didn't really understand that. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Like most of this film, I did not understand. Didn't understand
1: that. But then he gets shoved into this bar. He ends up leaving the bar. We... While he's at the bar, he meets, or sees, who will be our love interest slash leading lady, Beverly. Played by every teenage boy at that time's fantasy girl, Leah Thompson.
0: How'd they get her?
1: It doesn't matter. I would put her <laughs> in all of the things. She is wonderful. It's amazing to think that just a year before this movie came out, she was playing the mom in Back to the Future where everyone fell in love with her. But...
0: So To make a paycheck, I yeah, guess. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's exactly what it
1: was. I mean, George was just handing out money on this movie. So she, she's the lead singer of this band, this all-girl band called Cherry Bomb, which in 1986 is really cool. All-girl band. Oh, yeah. 1986 doing rock music. So cool.
0: Hey, I will say. Punk rock music. Their music wasn't that bad. Oh, no, the soundtrack so really is really it. good.
1: The whole band, Cherry Bomb, is awesome. And Leah Thompson did all of her own singing. Seriously? Yeah. The, they didn't want her to
0: why she I, was so good she
1: was but they they had her sing and then they were just gonna kind of dub her later they were just gonna add another voice on later and then they ran out of money <laughs> and they <laughs> well, just thank had to, goodness
0: they ran out of money and they
1: just had to keep it um yeah she's really good so she's leaving the show afterwards she's leaving the bar and all bad guys are rapists so two guys attack her in the alleyway being like we just came from your show you're so pretty we're gonna attack right, you now you
0: biggest fans yeah
1: and so she fights them off, which I find hilarious. This whole moment is hilarious because she fights off the two guys pretty well by herself. She knocks one of the guys to the ground after tackling him, gets on top of him, screams for help, bloody murder, help, help me, turns around and just punches the dude in the face. Like, why are you screaming for help and punching the guy? Are you Do you need help or you do you not need help? I mean, she had
0: to fight multiple people might as well get some help i
1: guess it's just she was handling her own business pretty well but still screaming for help plot needs to happen yeah plot definitely needed to happen so the two guys push her against a, a trash bin which for some reason howard the duck is hanging out in he's hiding in a trash bin because why not why not and so he gets out and he uh teaches those guys a lesson with what is known as quack foo apparently yeah yeah So fight fight breaks out And then she invites Howard back to her house because reasons. Plot. Because she's a good person. And then the movie just gets really weird from there because then they develop a weird relationship over the course of like a day to the point where they're laying in bed one night and Howard makes a joke about them having sex and she goes along with it and almost takes her shirt off.
0: Yeah. This whole idea of the implied bestiality it was just cra- so cringe. It's so
1: cringe. And
0: so bad, because they not only do it in this one scene, but later on in the movie, she thinks she's going to help Howard by calling out that he's her boyfriend. Like, it—it it is just so cringe and so just awkward that it kind of grinds everything to a halt. You're like, oh. Really? Even the people in the movie are like, wait, what?
1: And like... It's not like this. This character—it's not like there's other talking animals where it's kind of like that's the world, so it's okay. Like everybody in this movie freaks out when they see Howard because he's an alien. He's a duck person. Which so
0: I actually found rather refreshing the whole idea of this is exactly how humans would act with something so crazy—a a talking half-sized human duck. Like, just came out of nowhere. Everyone was freaking out or just, like, wanting to hurt him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very human thing that would happen. Very. So I thought they portrayed that very well. But I digress. <laughs> no,
1: you're good. You're good. That's the whole point of this. Um, so the story continues. They got to find a way to get Howard home. So they go to a museum to meet a scientist who's not actually a scientist. He's a lab assistant because he hasn't finished school yet. But for some reason, he immediately has theories about how Howard got there and what he can do to help him. And it's and like he's been planning for close. it. Yeah. I, super weird. But he—he he, the character of, what's his name, uh, Phil, is played by the effervescent and wonderful Tim Robbins. Oh. Who is just wonderful. Every time I see him in anything, I just I can't help but smile.
0: Even you ever seen The a Player? It's
1: wonderful. <laughs> Obviously, Shawshank Redemption, beautiful movie. One of the movies that just is overlooked when people talk about the greatest movies of all time. And he's just, he's great. In this role, he's not that great. <laughs> no, yeah.
0: he de- Well, it's the whole idea that this movie portrays that all men are pigs. Not necessarily, you know, all men are rapists. It's all men are pigs. They're all out for themselves. They're all going to take advantage of people when they get the chance.
1: I mean, it's so, he's such a weird character. This movie's so weird that during the aforementioned scene where they may or may not have sex, Beverly and Howard, Mm -hmm. they're in bed and they're getting comfy and Phil, Tim Robbins, Phil, and two other guys literally just break into her house. Well, to, get to be Howard. fair, he the said the door, door was, was open. open. Okay, so the door was unlocked, so he just Came opened in. it. Came in. That's weird.
0: It is very weird. And this weird. movie has a
1: lot of moments like that where you're just like, but why? Howard's job, when he gets to Earth and he's like, I need to find a job, because him and Beverly have a fight, and he yells at her and says, don't ever help me again. So now he needs to find a job and just figure out what he's doing. He works in a really weird place that's like a hot tub brothel. I didn't know those existed, but... Like, there's people <laughs> everywhere. Like, it looks like your prototypical walk-in, sleazy establishment, men paying for sex, women running around topless. You don't see anything, though, because it's family-friendly, but it's all implied while people are making out and groaning in hot tubs. And yeah. he's the towel boy or something? Something of the sort. Yeah, this... Again, this movie gets really weird. Really weird. Um, So, it's just... Everything in this movie is just cringe. Just everything that happened, I'm just like, oh my god. But we introduce the doctor that comes with Tim Robbins and breaks into Beverly's apartment. And it's Dr. Jennings, played by Jeffrey Jones. Probably not a name that you're going to recognize, but you would recognize the face. And Jeffrey Jones, one of his most popular characters he's ever played, was he was the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's where you're most likely going to know him from. But it's really nice that he shows up here because he's always a great surprise.
0: Yeah, he actually Um, did rather well in this film. He did. He actually
1: had to play two characters. Yeah. Because he had to play Dr. Jennings, mild Dr. Jennings. But when they're trying to get Howard home and they shoot another laser in a space, the machine blows up because it attracted the dark overlords, which...
0: Are basically just a demon who takes him over.
1: are a demon that takes him over, but then at the end of the movie is an actual entity... That bursts from the ground. So is it a demon? Or is it like a possession type thing? Or is it an actual Which creature? makes no sense because he does take possession of the
0: doctor. And he takes Beverly and is like, okay, well, I have to have another human for my, my people to come in through. I'm going to use you. And it was just really confusing on how after, like, Howard shoots him with some military ray gun thing that now it's out of the doctor the doctor is totally fine not like dying anymore
1: no he's literally just like oh the evil's gone
0: but now it's this giant monster with a giant face that's gonna like with tentacles
1: and multiple legs <laughs> and, and big scary teeth. That
0: was literally the voice, the noise it made. Every, yeah, it, every two seconds.
1: And again, if you guys think it's really hard to follow what we're saying, try watching the movie. This is the movie. This is one hundred percent the movie. But what Jeffrey Jones does really well is Dr. Jennings. Is he has to play Dr. Jennings, and then well, he's getting possessed. He has to change his voice. He has to change his face, his mannerisms, all that. And I love it. And he does not like, We are the dark Lord, overlords you are now witnessing the end of your planet. And it's just like and he, so he weird. He
0: plays it well too, because they do have a nice little like, little diner scene with him yeah. as that character. And he, he even makes little jokes as that character. Yeah. Like, they took my eggs. Like. But like, it's so
1: <laughs> unnerving though, because again, who is that for? Who is that back and forth of that character serving in the audience? Kids don't get it. And it's not funny enough. Or c- clever enough for the adults.
0: I don't know. I kind of liked it.
1: <sighs> it's fine.
0: I, I just thought his whole transformation and his portrayal physically and vocally were, were well done.
1: Yeah, it's fair. Um, so that that's the entire movie right there. We, we just summed up this entire movie in under 20 minutes. And you don't need to go watch it unless you really want to. But we're going to keep talking because that's the whole point of this. We, just, we talk about everything that we can talk about. Um, something I really liked at the beginning, and I wish they would have kept it as a through line for the whole movie, is after Howard arrives, he's sitting in Beverly's house. He's sitting in a chair on a couch, and a big truck drives past. And if you've ever lived in, like, a big city or whatever, some of those buildings, when big garbage trucks and stuff drive past, the building can shake a little. You can kind of feel it, especially back in the 80s when things weren't as soundly built. And the the, the whole room starts shaking, and the couch starts shaking, and Howard gets up and panics. Okay, and he kind of, like, full, traumatic stress yeah, full and panic go. attacks. He's breathing heavy. He's leaning up against the wall, and he's really freaking out. And I was like... That's kind of cool. Howard's going to have PTSD and things are going to set him off. And then we never revisit it. Ever. In the rest of the movie. And I think that would have been a really cool experience to watch this. You know, we watch a lot of Aliens Invade Earth movies and the humans are always like, Oh my God, aliens, we're freaking out. And the aliens are just kind of like, Meh, whatever. And this every day. We get to kind of see it from the other from the alien's perspective of like, we're aliens to him, and this is a traumatic experience.
0: Oh. Highly traumatic. He did did not choose to do this. He was literally ripped out of his bedroom and tore across the universe to this new world that is completely foreign to him. Like things are the same, but not the same. And it's just like, I I agree. I think they should have kept that throughout the film.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would have been been a nice little touch of just, even if just like two more times. You know, we we get that comedy rule of three where things are funny in threes. PTSD is not funny. If you or anyone you know is experiencing PTSD, please reach out, get help, talk to people around you. It gets better. But in a movie, it could have been played in a fun way. If they would have done the rule of three, drop that first one in a little later, something else happens. Like he sees a bright light flickering or a strobe light, something going off. So he he thinks it's that beam coming to get him again. Play something. You could have had more. I, yeah, I don't think it would have
0: played funny in any sense, but it would have added a little like gravity to the situation of like I mean,
1: it depends on how he reacts to it. And how other people react. It could have went one or two ways. Yeah. Um, but they just needed to keep it going. I needed to see more of his trauma. That's understandable. Especially because one of the things that pisses me off about this movie the most is... They, they reference things that, like, we should know or understand, but we were never shown it. Like what? So, when Howard's getting ready to go back to his home planet... And they're all like, we can, we can send you back. We're the best scientists on the planet. Ha, rah, 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 rah. Beverly's packing a bag for him. And she reaches over and she grabs pictures. And she's like, oh, what? and he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm putting in these Polaroids that we took at the club. When did you take pictures at the club? <laughs> Why is this just a thing that you're dropping in there instead of actually showing us?
0: That would have been a neat, like, character moment right, we for We never them.
1: get, like, time of them just hanging out doing human things. It's always the rush to get him back home. It's always furthering the plot more than character development with them. But then they just add these little things in to be like, that's character development. No, that's lazy writing. Well, that's
0: probably because this movie didn't know what it wanted to be. Did it want to be a little, like, uh buddy movie where it's people from different backgrounds come together and they become friends and yay or did it want to be this outer space movie where there's demons and And you gotta fight aliens aliens, you know it it just it didn't know what it wanted to be and therefore it didn't dedicate enough time to one thing or another so you're just pulled in like 16 different directions and as soon as you got into one little bit of the plot it was like ha switcheroo Now we're on to something else.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, And and I blame that, personally, entirely on the writing. I don't think this was a script that should have went into production. It probably needed about three or four more rewrites to kind of narrow down what they wanted to do. And maybe it would have been better. And it blows my mind, though, because one of the writers on this is Gloria Katz. You're looking at me completely blank. You have no idea who I'm talking about. (laughs) But she's written other things, and I'm going to read you some. Okay. And you're going to be like, how did she write this? All right. So one of the first things she wrote was 1973 Messiah of Evil. Yeah. Yep, yep. Looking at me blank, but I know there's going to be <laughs> listeners out there who know that movie. It's, it's wonderful. Next thing, also 1973, George Lucas's feature film debut as a director, American Graffiti.
0: Okay, I have heard of that one. And it's it's wonderful.
1: (laughs) It gave us Harrison Ford. That was his big break. I know everybody thinks it's Star Wars, and it kind of was, but he was actually in American Graffiti before this. Mm -hmm. Then she wrote the sequel, More American Graffiti, but this is where it gets a little weird. I really like this movie. A lot of people don't, but it's Indiana Jones Mm -hmm. and the Temple of Doom. (laughs) So what many people believe is the worst of the Indiana Jones until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. We don't talk about that one. Uh, I talk about that one. <laughs> um, but it, uh, to me, I actually really like it. I think it was a unique, different, outside-the-box kind of story compared to the other two Indiana Jones that we got. That's fair. So then you get Best Defense, which was also a big box office bomb, then Howard the Duck, Oof. and then... Didn't really write anything after that. In the early 2000s, she wrote some of those Lego movies. <laughs> you know, Lego <laughs> Indiana Jones and stuff like that. She helped write those. Um, she really, really just wanted to get onto the kids'
0: side. Huh? Yeah, I guess. I don't
1: know. But, like, those are some good movies. You can see promise. So then to go do this is just unbelievable. And the person that helped her, who we're to talk even more about, because he actually directed this movie as well as write this movie... Is Willard. No idea how to pronounce his last name. Every time I see it, I think of Goofy from. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I looked at it and yes. From Disney, of just like, hey, yuck. <laughs> like, that's what it looks like. But it's Willard uh, yuck. Um. He helped write this as well. He had worked on other things before this, he also directed this. What's funny, though, is he also directed Best Defense from 1984, the movie I just mentioned. He wrote and directed that one, huge box office failure, followed it up with this huge box office failure, never directed another thing after this.
0: Probably a good plan.
1: Didn't really work in the industry much after Howard the Duck. He kind of just left under his own accord. Because he had two failures right in a row. And it just crushed him. I mean, yeah. Um, So I I blame blame the writing. But what's funny is when you have a writer-director combo, where's the fault lie? It's always hard. Was it as the writer or was it as the director?
0: It's always hard when you have that kind of uh, double dipping going on in any sense. Where you just don't know what to cut. You don't know what will work what doesn't work because you have this vision in your head especially when you go into writing it and then you're like directing it oh yeah i know exactly what i want to get but you don't have that extra person in there to be like no this doesn't make any sense but he
1: did he had lucas and lucas was like yeah we love this
0: well yeah but lucas also said yes to jojo Banks, so
1: yeah we should have known yeah we should have known all right um go ahead, <laughs> continue continue um you know, it runs into that. I, I kind of get what you're saying. It runs into that issue of when you're the writer and director, you want to keep everything in the movie. You wrote it for a reason. Yep. So you film it, and then you want to keep everything in, even if it doesn't make sense, and you don't have anybody ca- telling you, no, yeah, don't this,
0: do that. this doesn't make sense. Like, Chop this isn't going to play as you think it. it is. Yeah, Yeah, you just have too, too many people going, yeah, this is going to work, this is going to work. You don't have that naysayer that's going to be like, mm. Do we really want that in this film? I think it'd work better if we did it this way.
1: See, I'm leaning on more heavily towards it failed in the writing room more than at, at the directing on set. Yeah. Because I actually like some of the stuff that he did as a director. He used some cool camera work. I really like that he decided, listen, we're it's 1986. The CGI we do is terrible. I mean... The monster they do at the end is just atrocious. I line.
0: mean, even the, the portal that gets him to Earth is god-awful.
1: I mean, that's stuff kids who are six nowadays make. But back then, it was it was impressive, to say the least. But it still won the, the Razzie Award. If you guys don't know what the Razzie Awards are, <laughs> they're, the, they're the award show that happened the night before the Oscars. And it's for the worst of everything. It started out as a joke, but now it's actually turned into, like, a big event, and it's hilarious. I
0: know. The whole idea of Halle Berry accepting her (laughs) Razzie is, like, the best thing in the world to me. (laughs) It's so funny. She's
1: not the only one. Others have done it, too. She's just the most memorable. Um, But this one won worst CGI. So, like, it's not good.
0: I was going to say, around the time of, you know, Star Wars looked way better than this, and I know they didn't do too much... But they they made it work, and then this I mean, film comes did, along. they and... did
1: swords of light. They yeah. didn't really do anything that impressive.
0: This did random little lasers coming out of people's hands. Like, eh.
1: I mean, it looked fine. No. <laughs> it looked fine. Um, but what I really appreciated was they could have went the CGI route, like a lot of movies did back then with creatures and stuff like that. But they instead went the Gremlins route, and Howard was an actual suit. Sure, it looked a little weird because it's, yeah. a, it's a guy in a suit, but it was really cool. It, it added an actual element for characters to act with and gave him actual movement like and weight. I was going to
0: say, that was actually one of my more favorite parts of this film was actually the amount of emoting that Howard the Duck was able to do. They made it so yeah, his that face... Yeah, animatronic head was really good. Yeah, his face got motion in his eyes, in his eyebrow area, in his beak. And it was just, it, it made the character a lot more real than just, a this is a blank character's head,
1: you know? Yeah, and I get, like, mocap is really good nowadays, but they didn't really have that back then. So putting an actor um, who was... Uh, What was his name? Let me check my notes here. Ed Gale. Ed Gale portrayed the movement of Howard the Duck. He was the one in the suit on set. And I think he did it really good. I think, in fact, most of the actors and everybody involved in front of the camera Mm -hmm. were really good.
0: Yeah, I actually had no major problem with the performances. I mean, they
1: were a little hokey, but... I mean, they had to work with that script.
0: Yeah, (laughs) So... so I don't really fault them on that i actually really enjoyed the voice acting too of howard
1: oh yeah and
0: I, I thought it was a, a good indicator of this is a middle-aged duck that everyone just assumes is a child because it's that size um
1: did great segue into my next fun fact Ooh. howard the duck was voiced by Chris chip zine mm-hmm. but he was not the original voice of howard the duck okay. care to take a guess no. I mean, you have all the actors. That, just take a guess. Harrison Ford. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, no. Um, actually, a lot of people. Uh, John Cusack also auditioned to be the voice of Howard the Duck because huh. people did think this was going to be
0: a success. Well, when you have the name George Lucas on it, especially, especially coming just right coming off, of off of Star, Star Wars. Wars.
1: He's producing this. People think it's going to be this whole big thing. People wanted to be a part of it. And who they got. To voice Howard the Duck, you're never going to believe it, Mm -hmm. Robin Williams. What? Yeah. Robin Williams was the original voice of Howard the Duck.
0: I feel like he would have ad-libbed too much and made it a better movie.
1: (laughs) So here's... Yeah, he would have. But here's the reason why. It's funny that you say he would have ad-libbed too much. Here's the reason why Robin Williams dropped out a week into voicing the character. Because they did all the voice stuff post-production. There wasn't anybody on set. On set, it was whoever was controlling the animatronic was just doing the voice, just reading the lines, and then they were going to dub it all in later. Huh. Robin Williams quit because the bill was moving in time with the very dry read of the people doing it on set.
0: Uh. So he
1: couldn't have fun with the character and play it up and do his wackiness that he does because the bill wouldn't have looked right. It would have been like, meh, meh, meh. But his voice would have been like, blah, 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 blah. Bla.
0: Yeah. So... He quit. I mean, understandable. I mean, he had his reputation on the line with that, having... I mean, he was
1: just getting new into, like, film in 1986. Like, he had done some stuff, but he wasn't the Robin Williams we all came to know and love in the 90s. Yeah. So, I mean, this could have crushed him.
0: Literally. Being even a
1: part of this movie. So, it's kind of good he got out, but I like the reason he got out. It wasn't that he had problems with the creative, or that he didn't like it, or that... He just couldn't put his own zaniness to it that people wanted from him. Yeah. I mean... I mean, they should
0: have done it it backwards and had him read lines and then just do whatever he did, whatever they chose,
1: but... He wasn't hired until filming was done.
0: Well, that was dumb.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But again, protect your brand. That's your brand, Robin. That's what you're doing. I respect you for that. Walk away. Yeah. And I think the voice actually worked, too. I think... Oh, Robin yeah. Williams could have made it a better movie, but it also could have taken it to a really cartoony level, where this gruff middle-aged duck, who's very sexual and eyes up women and touches women throughout the movie, is all of a sudden this really wacky G- G- Aladdin genie type voice. Yeah, I think it could have been bad at the same time.
0: Well, we also know that he he could do that type of humor if you sure, wanted to. He
1: could. But would he? You know, it's kind of like that gamble. I think Chris Zine, Chris, not Chris, Chip Zine, (laughs) did a really good job with the voice. He came across as a 30, 40-year-old person that's a duck. Yeah. Um,
0: One thing I actually really enjoyed um, talking about Howard was seeing the duck world at the beginning. Because they played really well into the idea of size. So in his universe he looked like a grown adult that we would normally say is a grown adult. As soon as he's brought into this new world, he he looks like a toddler. So it it added that little extra bit of strangeness and that little visual cue of oh this is this is really not the world he was made to be in. So I just, I just thought that was a neat little aspect that they put put into this movie that didn't have to be there they didn't have to make it so that he was a different size in his universe so I just I thought that was a a neat little tidbit that they put in there
1: there's actually a lot of neat little things they did in this movie and that's what's so hard about it because it's like you can see good aspects of what they wanted in the movie that they just could never get to
0: yeah (laughs) it's just it it Once again, it played with that whole idea of it didn't know what it wanted to be, so it didn't give enough effort to any one thing.
1: Yeah, it didn't. It just stayed very gray. very No black and white, just gray all the way through.
0: Nice little parts, not so nice little parts, that just ended up with a terrible movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's actually got quite a cult following, though, nowadays. It's one of those, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, where it's like, wasn't really loved when it came out, but as time went on people developed this weird fascination and appreciation of it and howard the duck's kind of at that level what would we
0: throw at the screen they howard have, the duck
1: they can have fan <laughs> events of like come see an original print of howard the duck this actually happened i think in like 2006 i'm not sure exactly what year it was either like it was either the 20th anniversary in 2006 or the 30th anniversary in 2016. One of those anniversaries. They had a... We have a 70 millimeter print of Howard the Duck. Come see it the way it originally was made to be seen in 1986. And Leah Thompson actually showed up to it. Oh, really? Um, to do a QA and <laughs> a afterwards. But it actually had more people show up to that event than the original premiere of the movie back in 1986. That's insane. So, like, this movie that people thought was going to be a success... More people showed up knowing it's a bad movie 30 years later than they showed up when they thought it was going to be the next big hit.
0: Honestly, that's how you have to look at certain movies. Like, they're so
1: bad, they're good. And it... this might be there. It kind of teeters where it's like, yeah, there's so many parts where I'm like, this is so bad, it's good. And then there's parts where I'm like, this is just bad. Period. Yeah. Period. I don't think I've ever looked at a single part of this movie and said, that's good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. It like Except I for said, for the little man in the suit. There's little parts here and there, the little details that they threw in there that were just really good, and it might just be because you know,
1: like the we've, music,
0: we've studied film, so we we know to look for these little things. But yeah, it wasn't enough. <laughs> it, it,
1: it, it wasn't enough of the little things. Um, I see you have your little notebook, your little. You're always taking notes when you're watching these movies to discuss later. What else you got on there? Hit me with something.
0: For me, the soundtrack, besides the band, was actually pretty terrible. What do you mean? I, I hated the idea of this this gruff guy meeting this girl, and then it's all like this really childish, peppy music, and then you intersperse it with him being lewd or... Him going to this new job working at this sex place. And it's just, it it totally took me out every time. Like, I was, it added that extra bit of, this is supposed to be a family little comedy of people coming together and learning to be friends. Oh, wait, now they're at a sex place. Oh, well, okay. We're back to this. So.
1: I mean, we're always back to that. That was the entire movie.
0: I know, but. It took me out of the experience because it would throw me in full head-on into that whole family-friendly movie idea of this film that I actually think could have worked with a different character, obviously, because that character, to stay true to that character, had to be lewd. Yeah. But this idea of that that would be make a, fam- a good family-friendly movie, so it would get me like going gung-ho into that idea... And then it would just, I'd get slapped in the face with something lewd and crude and just,
1: ugh. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Back up. What does this have to do with the soundtrack?
0: That it was so good at the family friendly, but it never it transitioned well into the lewd. So it just But it, I would, but it did. I mean,
1: she's yeah. out there singing punk rock songs. Uh, I said, besides the band, but there, there's not. But that's the thing. I, I think what you're missing here is I think you're confusing score and soundtrack, because the soundtrack is, sure, the music's not great, but usually a lot of the stuff on the soundtrack, except for pieces like her pieces, didn't make it to the soundtrack. The score, on the other hand, is what I think you're alluding to, where it kind of plays family-friendly music while he's at a hot tub brothel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Cause I was getting real lost in, in <laughs> my, your, my back and forth. Your little... back and forth, up and down talking about music. Um no, the band Cherry Bomb's music is great. It was I would wonderful. totally buy that CD. That
0: last song that they do, About How the Howard Howard Duck the song. Doug song, it's great. Was Stellar. Yeah, the introduction I was song along we get to everything.
1: it. I would buy their album. They should probably have put one out and it is. The, the, the entire soundtrack that they released is mostly songs like that with a few of the score songs. but the score doesn't work.
0: No, not at it's, all
1: It's repetitive. Yeah, it sounds like every other movie out there. they didn't do anything new with the music and it does it, it follows the same tonal shifts as the movie, but almost like in reverse. And it gets really hard to listen to, and I found myself just drowning it out. And I love scores. Oh yeah, so there's some of my favorite pieces of of a score making
0: make, make Michael or breaking a movie is
1: one of the best composers out there. And like I can tell his music. I watch a movie and I'm like, oh, that's Michael Giacchino. I can hear it, and it's emotional and it gets me invested. Here, meh, I don't even remember half the music.
0: It honestly sounded like one of those really. Really bad like Disney Channel movies, where it
1: don't you despise G- Disney Channel movies? No, D coms are the best.
0: That is fair. I was thinking something of that sort, not necessarily Disney Channel because I do love my Disney Channel movies, but something of that like really, what is the word I'm looking for? Like not not cheap, kind of cheesy.
1: Lifetime, like, Hallmark.
0: Yeah. The Lifetime or Hallmark kids movie, you know? Yes. It is so basic and just like, this is what kids would listen to, right? This makes it family friendly. Yeah. So
1: just up up and down this movie, no matter what part of the movie you want to discuss, whether it be the directing, the cinematography, the only piece of this movie that I actually think works is the acting. Because I think everybody played their parts really well. Even Tib Robbins, as much as you hated him as the character Phil, because you that were character was terrible. He's he was an idiot, and you were supposed to be like, why does this dude exist? Yeah, he does not do anything, but he played it so well. Jeffrey Jones played Dr. Jennings and the Dark Overlords perfectly. Leah Thompson can do no wrong. Probably like one of my first crushes in all of film. Um, and he, the voice acting of Howard, the du- everybody, everybody plays their parts really well but he just had every nothing other, to work with <laughs> every other part of the movie kind of falls apart so i don't really have much else to say you got anything else
0: i thought i did and it just left me
1: Excellent. <laughs> and that's what i like to hear that's kind of how this movie is i thought i had it and then it just left me
0: yep so
1: <laughs> final verdicts does howard the duck hold up
0: absolutely not Absolutely not. Even if you tried to update the special effects and make it a little bit better, you put that script in a movie today and it flops just as hard, if not worse. What about you?
1: Surprisingly, it does. What? I think Howard the Duck holds up in the only, in the way of it is so out there and ridiculous, and bad, that it's somewhat enjoyable. You, If you go into this knowing it's not a good movie, no matter if you watched it in 1986, 1996, 2006, 2016, or 2026, in four years, I think you will have a pretty decent time as long as you don't get your hopes up.
0: But that's the problem, though. If you were making it today, you'd want to get your hopes up. But I don't that want to make it today. Movie.
1: I don't want to remake it. I want to know if the original holds up. If you can watch the original and still, if it's still enjoyable. And I think Howard the Duck kind of holds up. I will disagree with you Which 100%. Is Which is, I'm sure many people will. Having
0: watched it the first time for this episode, I will tell you, this did not hold up for me. It, I For the first time watching it, I have no nostalgia for it. It did not hold up.
1: Uh, well, all right. Agree <laughs> and disagree.
0: It, it is one of those movies that it borders on the too bad maybe it it's could a, be
1: good, but it's like... Maybe it's an acquired taste if you watch it twice. Maybe you get into it a little more. because You kind of have those little moments. Know that you're what you're ready getting. for and you're happy yeah. for. Yeah. So who knows? But you say no, it doesn't hold up. Not at all. I say on the slightest of terms, like out of a hundred percent, fifty-one percent holds up. It is it is by the narrowest of margins. <laughs> Are you margins. sure it's
0: not fifty point nine? It's like fifty point
1: one percent holds up. So. Come check us out on Twitter at Does It Hold Up One Three and let us know what you think about Howard the Duck. If you saw it when you were a child back when it came out, or as an adult, or if you've watched it recently, does it hold up for you? Is it something you'd watch again? Uh, drop us, you know, comments on other movies you think we should handle, or just kind of what you think about the show. You know, we're always up open to suggestions. What you like, what you don't like. If my voice is annoying, let me know. Just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, We'll be back again next week with... Oh, next week is an open week. So I don't really have anything planned. I'm just going to kind of pick a movie out of a hat. Uh, I was going to give you guys a little hint, but I don't have one currently. So...
0: Maybe if you have some neat suggestions.
1: Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. Um... In the meantime, guys, we'll see you next week and keep watching movies. Bye.